founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Scott Lowe, co-founder and CEO of Actual Tech Media. Scott is an enterprise IT veteran with more than 20 years of experience in senior and CIO roles across multiple organizations. Scott started Actual Tech Media in 2012 to help business leaders traverse the confusing landscape of enterprise IT. They do this by helping companies create compelling and lead generating webinars and virtual summits, as well as comprehensive guerrilla guide eBooks. Scott's company has two years in a row on the Inc. 5000 list and continues to grow at a blistering pace. Scott Lowe, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. We are excited to have you. I would love to start where we always start in the podcast, which is giving our audience just a little bit of an idea of how this company came into existence. So for you, where does your mind go? What are the series of events that led you to starting this company? It's, it's interesting. It has, it, I, I get asked this a lot, like, how did you get to where you are? Sure. Um, and it, I started actually by quitting my job. And I'm, I'm not even kidding. Um, I didn't have this in mind. Um, I had left for lots of reasons and was off on my own doing freelance work and ran into my first co-founder. There's two co-founders plus myself. Um, and we said, let's just get together and do this thing. And what that thing was is not what we do today. Hmm. Um, but we got together, started this about a, about a year after, just a little bit less than a year after I left my job. And I'd say 2014, 15, it took off. And, um, wow. so it's, uh, it, we kind of, uh, backed our way into it, but we pivoted along the way and here we are. What was the what was the first iteration that you guys came together and started? It was on, we were both doing freelance work um, for different enterprise IT companies, and neither of us knew how much to charge for anything. So we were like, let's just get together and do it together, and charge the same price, and we'll you know, and maybe we can bump our price a little bit because we're two minds coming together, and that was really where it started. We still do content work, although it's very different than what it what it um, what it started out as, um, and it was. Uh, that that was really the the genesis of it. We brought our third partner in that had some marketing prowess, and he helped us basically take that from just content to providing some demand generation and lead generation services to our clients. Mm -hmm. And from there, we are where we are now. Wow. So you're going to have to educate me a little bit, which is isn't a new thing. Uh, but the the enterprise IT world is not something I'm super familiar with. I have a one of my brother in law, uh, one of my brothers in law is in IT and um, this might help me with the next family family gathering coming up for from but what did what did consulting work for those clients look like so basically um, for the for our clients so our clients are companies like Dell HP Cisco the big enterprise IT names including lots of smaller ones um, we work with them to help identify end user organizations that need their solutions and the way we do that is through webinars and content to speak to those end users and try to entice them to try out the, uh, the vendor solution. So our client is um, solely the enterprise IT vendor. Um, and when I talk, it's a very niche space. Um, and uh, and it's, it's, but it's, it's worked out quite well. Interesting. Yeah, there seems to be there seems to be uh, and even just looking at your your services and looking at your background too, the content creation thing 
potentially is a little bit of a, a passion for you too, in terms of just skill set. Where was the where was the initial spark there? Like, how did that come to be? And and yeah, tell me tell me a little bit about your personal background and content creation is cool. Everybody needs more of it these days. Yeah, but you actually have that ability, which is is fascinating. So I started blogging before it was called blogging. I was writing articles for a site called Tech Republic starting in 1999 when I worked at Hamilton College in upstate New York, managing the network. And before I left my CIO job that I had in 2011, um, I'd written thousands, literally, of blog posts. I'd written some full-length books for Microsoft and for O'Reilly on various technical topics. And um, so I was very comfortable writing. Mm-hmm. And as I was off on my own, I realized that I, before it was side income. So I didn't care as much about what I was being paid. Um, but as I, as it became primary income, that became a bit more important. Um, mm-hmm. You know, being able to, you know, the kids want to eat. I mean, they just keep doing that over and over, want to eat every single day. And um, so I needed to find a way to, to make that and also scale it. Um, <laughs> the kids want so, to eat every day. I, I know. That. They're just, what's leeches. wrong with them? I know, little little leeches. Um, And so we need to find a way to do that in a way that made sure it was more scalable, more regular. Um, And that's one of the reasons we started this. And for the first couple of years, it was still a side thing. While we grew it, I was doing consulting work for colleges and universities. um, And my one of my partners had another job. Um, And then, like I said, 2014, 2015, a lot of that stopped and this became full time. Wow. So initially, was there a learning curve for companies to value that and to to look for that kind of help as as maybe that was becoming more of a an online trend or the companies were starting to see, see the kind of need Must of that have. or yeah yeah the the kind of writing i'm doing i don't do as much writing as i used to <laughs> the kind of writing i'm doing now is very different than what i was doing when i was doing it on the side i was writing blog posts and small articles now we're writing full length you know um short, for, short form books um, and things like that. Um, but we've had to educate clients about why that's important, but a lot of them know that, Hmm. um, about why it's important. So what's been important for us is to create something that's compelling that they want to come to us because one of the things that I tell my team is what we provide is somewhat of a commodity commodity service, but we do it in a unique way. Um, we've been very careful to build our products and services in a way, um, that they are identifiable and recognizable and that's worked well over the years. Yeah. I love that. So cool. One question I have is around the idea of how, or, or my question would be, how did you go from two friends doing similar work and somewhat consulting work where you could just keep kind of staying that way? You have your own book of business, you're a freelance consultant. How does it go from that to a, a fast growing company, right? Like that's, that's an interesting jump to me. And it's been a snowball effect. I mean, you know, the, the uh, flywheel effect and good to great mm-hmm. is real. Um, and so we, that initial turn of the flywheel took a lot of work. And so we had to, uh, make sure that what we were, we were executing well and basically providing clients with more than our competitors were giving them, mm. um, and at a better price. And we found some unique ways to do that. And so over time, we've been very intentional about how we grow. Um, and so as the flywheel continues to turn, we do more of that. And yeah. now this year, um, it's it, last year, this year, it's really paying dividends at this point, the investments that we've made in prior years. But so it started with two of us, it became, became three and then it became four. And for a while it was just the four of us for the most part, um, providing everything. 
And what we found is that we want to also have lives. You know, that's, you know, the kids want to eat. They also want to see us sometimes. Sure. And um, so we started to hire a pe- person here and there. Um, we've been very, very careful and intentional about how we hire. So as we start to see um, workload increase, and I, I've gotten to a point where I can feel when the organization needs to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, at first, it was like, we're working really hard. Why is that? Where it's too much? Well, because we need more people. And now we can sort of tell we, it's a stair-step sort of growth pattern um, as far as the staffing goes. And we can tell when we need to hire more people. Um, and so we we really started to build the both sides of the business, our webinar event business, as well as our content business, they're sort of separate silos. Um, but we started to basically build teams to support both of those things um, as the workload you know, dictated. But we're very, uh, it's organic growth. We, I'm not a big believer in taking investment um, yeah. and growing too fast. And mm-hmm. um, so it's been very controlled and it's worked well. Yeah, it's cool. I want to go to the... Uh back to the flywheel concept. Cause I think we might've referenced it one or two times. We've definitely uh, referenced cause we even have a BHAG question at the end. So we referenced Jim Collins uh, often. And I've talked about it being like, it was like the business Bible my dad gave me as I went to college. He was like, you should read this. This is yeah, going to be important. And he was right. I was like, that was, that was a good one to kick, to, to kickstart me. Um, but the flywheel concept is, is fascinating to me because I was hearing, um, Jim Collins on a podcast one time, even talk more about it, which was fun to hear him talk about his own concept that he created. And he was talking about, you know, the, the flywheel isn't this like series of things that you just like secret formula that you just put together. And now it works. It was this thought of uh, inevitability thinking that, Hey, when I do this, this next thing is inevitable that it'll happen, which make it inevitable that the next will happen. And yeah. I heard you mentioned, you mentioned a few, just like, Hey, we got to execute well, we got to provide better value at the same price as someone else. Were there some other things? And did you even, did you guys ever even work out like this? I think this really is our, our fly, flywheel and kind of articulate that. Um, I'd love to just dive into that a little deeper for, for you guys and what you learned. One of the things that we've done over the years is we've, we've tried a lot of things. Um, and I think that the only way you can get to the right flywheel is to fail at a few others. Yeah. Um, and so we, we spent a lot of time, trying things. And then as we hit on things that we started to see potential in, um, we sort of reduced investment in some of the things we weren't seeing potential and increased investment, obviously. And that means just time and some money um, into the things that we were seeing results with and then figuring out ways to do more of those. And, um, you know, if we look at our events business, there's some key decisions we made along the way that have allowed us to, um, to continue to grow the business, that business, um, pretty dramatically over the last few years. Um, you know, we go by a number of webinars that we've done. In 2018, it was like less than 100. 2019, 137. This year, we're on, on track for two, doing 200 webinars for our clients. Wow. wow. Um, you know, on average for a week, um, which is huge. It's a lot of work because there's our process is very um, intentional. Um, yeah. And it's something that we take a lot of pride in. So that it's not wow. something we just sort of you know, slough off on somebody else. We have a team of people that are responsible for this. So as we've grown that, we've had to grow the people as well. Um, but we've been, again, when we think about the the, the flywheel, um, we've looked at where we are, where we want to be, and then we've made the appropriate investment to to get there. Or probably a little bit late on the people investment side, but that's intentional. When we yeah. hire people, I'm sort of a big believer and we're making a commitment to them. And I'd rather have a little bit of pain for everybody rather than hire someone that we just can't support. Yeah. Um, so that's 
that's kind of the that's kind of the way we've operated over the years. That's awesome. What would be some examples maybe of when you saw an opportunity that would be a flywheel kind of thing for you that paid dividends? Um, I can't get, there's a couple of things I can't get into too much detail, but with the way yeah. we, we drive registrations to our webinars, um, there was basically a conversation I had with one of my partners at the time, and it resulted in us being able to double the way, to double our registrations without having to spend more money. Wow. Um, and so that was one way that we were able to, to get the flywheel going. We've built lots of partnerships with lots of people to help us do this. Uh, we don't do it alone. Um, and yeah. Um, it's been, it's been really, it's been rewarding both, you know, obviously it's getting results for our clients, but it's, it's also resulted in a sustainable business for us. I'm curious in those early days when you guys are kind of a young startup, just a two, three, four of you guys out there looking to get some clients and, you know, yeah. you're out there, you're out there trying to convince someone to take a chance on you and Hey, we can deliver these results for you. What, what did you learn in that period of, of how you get your clients and, how to sell and how to position yourself. Like, what was that like for you? So two of my partners, my, myself and one of my partners, um, already had reputations in the, in the industry as, as I hate the term, but influencers. Um, so we were considered, you know, people came to us for advice and to, you know, write papers for them and stuff, stuff like that and host webinars just individually. Mm. What we did though, is we leveraged that reputation and we went, actually, we went to Silicon Valley we dragged a video crew with us and we shot free video for a bunch of clients. And what we have found is that our, that's become the basis for our sales process is we're providing some level of value to clients um, to, so they can kind of get a taste for how we operate. Now it's not necessarily what we do, but they can get a taste for our knowledge yeah. and our ability to understand what they do. One of the things that we have on a number of our competitors um, as, as an advantage is they're bringing a marketing person that doesn't have any enterprise IT background to bear. We're bringing people that are technologists first and marketers second. So we're able to immediately understand their value proposition and explain it in a way that's accessible to our audience. And mm -hmm. so that's our value proposition. And by going and doing these videos for free around Silicon Valley, we got to demonstrate that. And we actually ended up very much more than recouping the cost that it took to do that um, in the just while we were there. Um, wow. So we put a lot of elbow grease into it, and that's become the basis for a lot of our sales process, um, is trying to find ways to demonstrate value to clients before they even engage with us on an actual activity. Um, and we're doing that virtually now, of course. Um, mm -hmm. we've got, yeah. We have one of my partners pretty much dedicated to that. His job is to demonstrate value to new companies and bring them into the sales funnel. So, Wow. Yeah. Man. I have a thought before we get too far, because I feel like <laughs> I feel like we keep getting further away. But one of the things that was important to Drew and I, so uh, one of the things you talked at the beginning, you know, we were doing all this on the side, and then I decided to go pro. And uh, that phrase, go pro, is a phrase Drew and I have used in the past to talk about what we did. Like, hey, we were we were skilled at having conversations with people. We found that people wanted to have conversations with us. You know, we're by profession, we're coaches. You know, we're going to be business coaches. And what we found is like people would have conversations with us around, maybe it's their mindset, maybe it's how they could get something done. You know, they want to workshop and it was, it was fun. You know, you'd have those conversations with them on the side, you know, you, you get to be a mentor for a moment, but then, you know, going pro was a whole different beast of, of the level of uh, mm -hmm. excellence you have to, to deliver. 
I would be curious about your own, like, what did you learn from doing it on the side to going pro? Like what cranked up? It wasn't just like, okay, now we're doing this full time. Like even like for you as a, just as an individual, like what was, what was anteed up? What did you have to do better that you were able to kind of hide when it was just on the side? But now you're like, dang it. Like if I don't, if I don't shore this up, you know, this is going to suck for me. I'm going to fail. Uh, what was that for you? You know, what were the challenges for for you going pro? Um, number one was determining the right level of pricing. So, I mean, pricing is all over the map with what we yeah. do. Um, and that's conversations in the circles I've, I'm in. It's always, how much should I charge for this? And so we, as when I was a freelancer, I was not charging enough. I mean, I look back on those days and be like, oh my gosh, I could be retired right now. Um, <laughs> but the other piece of it was a, a, a very much a recognition that the client experience is paramount. And so making sure we were charging the appropriate amount of money to be able to sustain not just us, but also a team we want to bring in as, and also making sure that the process and the experience was such that they wanted to work with us. Right. So when it was just me feeding the family, I didn't have to charge as much when it's, me hiring a team, I got to make sure my pricing can support me feeding my family, as well as the people that are executing on the work. And we had to do that in a scalable way. So that was probably going from amateur to pro, the the biggest change. It was a pricing change, mindset change, and also making sure that we had a focus on process and client experience. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, that's, I was just going to, well, I was going to ask that at the beginning. Uh, And maybe it was clarification, because you had said one of the things earlier was providing this great value at either lower the, your competitors or low cost. And uh, in my brain, I'm always curious, like, well, how does that scale, right? If yeah. it's low cost, how does there enough margin to be able to bring in team members and that kind of thing? Also a do once sell many approach. Um, so if we look at our multi-vendor events, for example, Megacast, Ecocast that, that we do, they're just regular webinars. We can sell those at a very aggressive price because we're amortizing the cost across sometimes up to 15 different clients. Mm-hmm. So it's a similar, from, from our perspective, it's a similar audience that we would drive for just one. We're able yeah. to reduce the cost for everybody, but charge more than we could, you know, otherwise. And um, it's for them, it's a great deal. For us, we get the margin we need to make it sustainable. Um, yeah. And the economics work quite well for it. So that's, awesome. that's brilliant. Now, I'm curious, just in general, to hear your thoughts on, you know, using webinars, using virtual summits. Uh, you've obviously seen that that's worked well for oh, your yeah. industry. Um, could you just speak to anyone listening outside of this, you know, outside the enterprise IT industry and and maybe should they pay attention to this? Is this something that they should uh, be learning about and leveraging for their business growth? I think it depends on what the industry is, but for the most part um, in our industry, absolutely. I mean, especially these days, um, one of the business drivers this year for us has been there's no more in-person events and they still need to do lead generation. So they mm-hmm. needed to turn somewhere and we had we had capacity we could turn up to meet that demand and we did it successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, it also depends on what your goals are. If you're doing webinars, okay, there's different ways to do webinars. You can do, do, do webinars that are just hitting a broad audience where you're gonna hit that top of funnel that you then go nurture and bring down funnel. You can mm-hmm. also then have webinars that you're doing at a targeted set of potential of prospects that you're trying to get to do a you know a pilot or, or trying your solution or buying it um, for the top of funnel I that's where we really play very very well um, we are driving an audience that's very pertinent to our events and our clients have seen great results I think that when other people are looking at doing webinars 
um, they need to be looking at the same thing. I mean, basically, uh, you know, how are you, who are you inviting? How are you inviting them and measuring results and making sure you're getting a return on your investment? Well, that's what I was going to ask. Are there any, anything you could point to that would be a uh, stay away from this type of, of mentality or thing if, you know, that would be a, a waste of someone's time or money that just hears it like, oh, that's a great idea. I'll do it for my business. Like anything we could say, hey, if you're trying it this way, that's a waste of your time and money versus, if, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, one of the things that we've had clients do is they do these, they hit their internal lists every week with new webinar ideas and that they don't go outside that. And we try, obviously there's some self-serving, you know, interest here. We want them to work with us to build their list, but mm -hmm. ultimately they're going to exhaust the people and they're just going to unsubscribe, unsubscribe's going to go through the roof. So yeah. just hammering the people you already have over and over and over is probably not a good strategy. And we've seen that not work. Um, yeah. There always needs to be new blood. So as part of the overall strategy is there's a, there's a difference between nurture and abuse. And mm -hmm. you want to make sure that the, what you're doing for nurturing is not hit, getting into the abuse realm yeah. um, and making sure you're bringing new blood in on a regular basis so you can continue to do nurture and, and have new faces. Yeah, this is a good, good concept. So, and maybe I'm even shared just some of my beliefs and, and have you speak to them too is because I think all we, even just a mentor that Drew and I have really encourage us like, Hey, you can be in their inbox more often than you're feeling like you, you want to be, you know, we had it, we had it spread out in a certain way. And he's like, I think, I think you probably be in there more often, but then that definitely brings it in us. Like, Hey, that's that now triggers the opportunity for abuse, yes. but we're trying to nurture like our, our intent, our, our heart and our mindset. We really, we're just trying to educate and motivate them to know that, Hey, when you finally have that pain, we're going to be the guys that can solve that really well for you. Um, but what's your, your thought on, on nurture, even just like how to, how do you communicate to them? Like, what is an email? Does every email have to have the call to action to buy this product? Or is there some way that you go, no, look at, look at nurture in this way. Uh, anything you'd speak to there? Yeah. In fact, we're doing some, we, we haven't, uh, we've been, uh, our sales strategy has been value ad centric. So yeah. we're just starting to get into a, you know, email, um, uh, email sequences and things like that for ourselves, which seems weird that we haven't yet, but we've, it's been, what we've been doing is working. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of like, why bother? But we are doing some of that now and we're trying to take a value-based approach there. So we're okay showing up people's inboxes on a regular basis, as long as we're adding something of value. Um, so we've created content specifically tailored to um, personas we've developed and tried to make it something that's compelling for them to want to look at. Um, we're also, I'm not a fan of passive aggressive sales strategies. We're not pulling any of that stuff. Like there, you're never going to find it. Well, I guess you don't want to save money. So go, we'll just go away. Yeah. I hate <laughs> that. Like nothing will make me hit unsubscribe faster than yeah. pathetic passive aggressive sales. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we got you on this podcast, man. That's how we got you. You said you don't want to be on the coolest podcast and fine. <laughs> well, I mean, I can definitely see why you do this because it's a business. I mean, it's a, it's a lead generation activity for you partially, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it's clear. Do not say that, by the way. <laughs> I know you don't, but I, in fact, I was talking to one of my partners about this and I was like, hey, I'm going to do this podcast. And we looked at it and he was like, this is really smart of them. This is a great way for them to get business because there's 5,000 people on the Inc. 5000 list that they can hit up and try to become coaches for. That's right. Exactly. So 
You called yeah, us yes. out. Come on. Sorry, guys. Come but... on, Scott. <laughs> no, no, it's like... smart. It's a great idea. It's a fantastic yeah. idea. We yeah. laugh about marketers, marketers respecting marketers. Like, there's yeah. nothing better. It's yeah. like, yeah, I appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, one of our guys was on the phone with a marketing agency and talking to their sales guy, and he just stopped and goes, "You're actually really great. I love what you're doing." <laughs> We don't need to do this. Like I'm just, I'm just here asking a few questions, you know. Um, but no, yeah. that's so brilliant. Now, just even our backstory. This might be a fun time to even talk about uh, why we started this podcast. Yeah. It came in the pandemic, and we had been experiencing natural growth beforehand, just very organic natural growth. And then all of a sudden, we've got a time where everyone's budgets are shrinking, and they're 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 at home yeah. and not out and about where we might meet people or speak at a conference or whatever. And we just thought, man podcast is such a great place to have a conversation with someone and form a connection. And, and yes, it could be a place to meet our ideal client, which is in that 5,000 list, you know? Um, and it's been everything and more the friend, like whether someone turns into a client or just a friend or an awesome interview that benefits someone else, it's like, it is such a win for us. Um, but you, you nailed it, buddy. Like I said, I mean, this is similar to the approach we use, whereas we're going to go do something for free and we're going to try to show you that we have, we know what we're talking about. Um, and that we can add value immediately and you don't have to wonder if we know, if we know what we're doing. That's right, so yeah. it, I can totally understand why this would work well for you guys. Fantastic. Well, my, my, my question for you would be, um, you know, if we were to get off of the, the marketing subject just for a second and go into the business builder hat, right. Where you're a practitioner, right? Like you have the skill of the service that you are, uh, offering to your, your customers, but now you're building a team. And now yeah. you're building an organization around that. What were some of the biggest challenges for you in the like, not just delivering quality service to your clients, but now building a team, hiring, motivating people, putting them in the right positions? What was, what's that been like for you? It's, it's hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, I mean, I've, I came up through, I was, you know, vice president of college and I've done lots of leadership roles, but it's different when you're building the whole team from scratch. And yeah. We, we started out as a loose conglomeration of partners and ultimately it was decided someone needs to be in charge. Someone mm -hmm. needs to be leading the organization. Um, and it started out as sort of a face of the company sort of role. And that's what they asked me to be because I was the one that was out there the most. And it's yeah. turned into very much an oversight of the company role that we want to do, we, we need to build. Um, and probably one of the, we used to do everything. I mean, I, we do eBooks. I was literally laying in bed at night, laying out eBooks for clients because <laughs> that was what we did. We wrote an eBook, yeah. then we then we did all the work inter internally to, um, to uh, get it done, and that included writing it, that included laying it out, that included getting it printed. Wow! Um, for print copies, and yeah. what we've done over the years is we've looked at the parts, the places where my time is not well spent in InDesign. I am not an InDesign pro. I am not a graphics artist. By yeah. any stretch of the imagination, you shouldn't let me near it. But I was doing it because we had to. Right. Um, so we hired um, a graphic designer who's then in, taken that to whole new levels. On the events business, um, we, we started out just doing a few events here and there, and it quickly got to a point where my partner and I couldn't keep up with all of them we were doing. So yeah. our first full-time hire was, and it was someone to be an events coordinator, and she's still with us five years later. Wow. Um, and our graph, we've got, we were up to a team of 18 at this point. Mm. Um, and which isn't a lot of people, but it's way, it's much farther than when we started. Oh yeah. And so what I've had to do, there's a couple of things that are happening. We have four partners in the company and everybody else is staff or management. 
So mm-hmm. it started out as the four partners really being the management layer. So over time, what we've done is we've become hiring managers to oversee the two sides of our business so that ultimately the partners can become a little bit not divorced from the business. So we're not, but so we're not quite as in the middle of it. You're right. Yeah. Um, Inter- integral in the day-to-day stuff. Exactly. Because it's not good for anybody if we're just around all the time. I mean, it's people have to be able to naturally grow that we want to provide a place for people to grow their careers too. Mm-hmm. And so the harder part for me was basically letting go. Um, I was doing a lot of these things and I had lots of opinions on how they should be done as a result, but I had to trust other people. And I've had to do that before, but it's a little bit different when it's your baby, right? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And so we've had, I would say over time, we've refined our hiring process because we didn't do it. We didn't do a great job for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've learned some hard lessons there. And now we've got a killer team. I mean, I would not trade any of these people for anything. They're fantastic. Wow. Um, I also had most of the responsibility for sales for quite a long time. I was driving 90, 95% of our sales. Um, two, uh, two years ago, three years ago, I can't remember. We hired our first full-time salesperson and now we've got three full-time salespeople that are out there um, hitting the pavement. And I've had to take, I still do, I still manage a few of our larger, more, uh, older house accounts. Um, but I've become more of a sales manager than, than a, than a contributor on the sales team. Um, although I still do quite a lot, um, with the house accounts. So I've, I've, again, I've had to let go of that too, and then trust other people are representing the company in the way that we want it to be represented. Um, and we take that really seriously. We want our faith, our reputation is everything. We don't have, and that's one of the, and one of the things that's been the hardest, probably the hardest challenge we identified was we were the company. We were the brand. My partner and I, especially, we were the brand. We were the face of the company. We were writing everything. We had to get to a point where other people were doing the work, but with the same results as when we did it and the same level of reputation. And I Mm. think we've successfully done that. Wow. Um, And it's hard because, you know, your name is still on everything that goes out. Yeah. Um, even if it's not literally on it. Um, but yeah, so basically letting go and make, and then trusting the process, um, have become really important for us. Yeah. So one thing that I hear was something I was going to ask you about when we were first, it was one of my questions that I was thinking about prior to having you on was, well, we've interviewed a few marketing companies now, and even just with the ones that we've worked with or gotten to know, uh, they have this trouble of like building their business while they're building somebody else's. You oh know? yeah. That's just oh, so yeah. challenging. Yeah. They're masters at building other people's businesses or their thing. And then they're so stuck on like the work, the project to execute that thing. Yeah. They've had yeah. trouble. Um, because a lot of times there's just like, even like your four partners, likely they're just those, you know, you and, and those other three are just creative, brilliant people. And a lot of times it's even hard to wrangle that in to, to right. be, the day-to-day operational team. And so it sounds yeah. like you've even kind of said, well, let's just have them not be that. And we'll just elevate these partners. And then we got some management layer under, which I, I love. Yeah. One we still my- have some of that, but it's, yeah. it's less than it was. Um, and yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. leave it at that. My, my one kind of curiosity kind of into that was around communication because you're at 18 now you know, we would see, you know, you start getting up over that 20 mark. Uh, That's a new challenge for communication. But even at that 18 piece, 
you're now struggling to communicate with every single person. You know, when it gets beyond eight, it's, yeah. that's tough. That's tough. You can't just lead that team. You have to be like an organizational leader now. Uh, has there any anything that you've seen like organizationally as it relates to communication that you've done that says this is this actually was a great move and this helped yeah. everybody communicate a lot better? Uh, yeah, we um, we're a virtual company, so everybody lives where they live. We have people in South Carolina. We have people in we have people in Canada. We have people in in the West Coast and in Mountain Time. So it's people are everywhere. Um, uh, we started with Slack. And that was a great way for people to feel like they were in an office. But about two and a half years ago, we actually made the jump to Microsoft Teams. And that has been world changing because it provides oh. more than oh. just an instant messaging platform. It provides a, collabor a collaboration capability that other tools don't. Mm. Um, and so we made the jump to Teams and that's been huge. The other thing, to your point about communication, that's where it became really important for us to have managers in each of the groups. Um, yeah. because I can't be all things to all people anymore. It just doesn't work. Um, right. I, I'm trying not to be, I'm trying not to have any of us be the bottleneck that makes something not get done. Mm -hmm. um, and we also, to to kind of keep everybody together, um, we have just fun channels and teams. We have a water cooler channel where people post pictures of their cats, their kids, their, their projects, things like that. And we yeah. have a staff meeting every Friday um, where everybody talks about what's happening um, in their team. And mm -hmm. so we mean, so everybody's aware of what's happening across the company. And so it, we don't have an office, but it feels like that people actually work together. Yeah. And yeah. The people talk to one another. Oh, I love that. What a fun new world. You know, some, some people are already doing it this way. And then COVID mm -hmm. has forced everyone else to figure it out. Right? Like, how do I have a non-local team? Yeah. Uh, still collaborating, still have a culture, still, you know, getting stuff done. Are you familiar with Vistage? Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm in a Vistage group and um, we stopped meeting in person back in March or April. And what became, what, what had, for probably four months, what dominated our meeting discussions every month, which are on Zoom now, was how do I keep a company culture going? How, I mean, I, none of these people come to the office anymore. And they were asking me, how is it possible you even have a company culture when you don't have an office? Mm. And it's kind of like, I don't know. I mean, it, it, we've, we've, we've been intentional about hiring good people. We, we have, um, excuse the language, but a no assholes rule. Yes. Um, and so we're careful about that. And if we find that someone is, we get rid of them. I mean, it's just yep. um, not, I don't want to be quite that callous, but that's, you know, that's Close. kind of the way it works. Mm -hmm. um, and we try to provide, places for people to have outlets that they can work so that they so that they're doing stuff together like you would if you were together and one of the things that's interesting is one of the new people we brought on board this year um is a she her old company didn't do a lot of this stuff and so she's loving this stuff and she's she's taking the lead on um doing some basically morale building type exercises um mm -hmm. we're going to have a virtual um happy hour, for example, in a couple of weeks where it's just going to be get on teams and chat and just yeah. no, no agenda, just talk to one another. Um, one of the things we do on all of our staff meetings every week is every each, each person is assigned a week to provide a learning segment. Um, and so somebody, they teach the rest of the team about something. Um, we had our, our graphic designer taught about design principles. Um, we had one person a couple of weeks ago that gathered facts from everybody on this, on the team about mm -hmm. where they went to college, the animals they have, their kids, their families, and then did a virtual Jeopardy um, tournament. 
where everybody participated. It was brilliant because we got to learn about our coworkers. We got, to, and she also had company facts that newer people may not have been aware of. Wow. Um, and we have um, one this last week. He's a uh, avid bicyclist. So he gave a presentation on how to choose the right bike. And mm. so it doesn't have to be work-related, but we've tried to provide yeah. opportunities for people to um, engage in ways that are not necessarily work-related um, to provide that culture. And that's one of those, those are the stories I shared with my Vistage group are yeah. like, these are what my people are doing um, to, to be teammates. So. That's really cool. Cause it also gives them a, a leadership opportunity, if you will. I mean, just the presentation, that's, you know, they get to practice communicating, influencing, drawing in their audience. I think that is, that is really fascinating and just creating an open-ended topic is really cool too. Yeah. Yeah, and it started out as sort of profession-based, yeah. um, but then it kind of got into some of these, you now here's what biohacking is. One of my partners is mm. a big is big into the whole biohacking thing. Yeah. And so he provided a presentation on that. And that actually led us to buying these aura rings for everybody. Um, yeah. So do sleep tracking and things like that. Um, oh, yeah. So. Heck yeah. Well, yeah. I think one, one of the things that this uh, pandemic has done is exposed fragility. I mean, oh yeah, everywhere. Oh yeah, right? like in your marketing, in your immune system, <laughs> and and uh, culturally speaking, if you didn't have a very intentional and weaponized culture, it was it's gonna fall apart when we're no longer together, right? You got it. So uh, one of the ways we talk about culture is you know it's gonna be made up of vision, mission, and values, right? And so if your culture was basically only existing because of accident, meaning proximity created culture so yeah. we just were the way we were and that became culture and that's the thing we're trying to figure out how to do virtually that's going to fall apart yeah. because you don't have any accidental culture but if your culture was intentional meaning this is what we embody like this is this is an aspirational this is who we are as leaders this is what we recognize and reward this is what is fireable you know if you're an asshole like those those things still exist when you're not together Right. Because yeah, you can absolutely. still be those people and exhibit those values. And it, it doesn't require being on top of each other for that culture to exist. So it sounds like to me, you guys already had at least the good building blocks of a real culture that was intentional that can still exist virtually. It, it, yeah. And one of the I'm I I'm very careful about imposing culture. I've worked for organizations that yeah. imposed culture and it was terrible culture. It was. Yes. I mean, it was one job I took where the first day I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Um, <laughs> because he literally, the, the president of the college came out and said, if you thought you had a life outside work, you didn't, you're going to bleed purple and yellow. And it's like, <laughs> oh my God, because, wow. and he, and he forced, if you didn't sing loud enough at an event, you got written up. I'm not even joking. <laughs> um, and so it was like, okay, I'm not a fan of that. And I'm, I'm, I'm also loosely affiliated with some other organizations where culture is being driven by the marketing team. Not mm. non-starter for me. I, I really wanted a culture that was not top down, mm -hmm. but where we instill certain values, like we want to take care of our people. We want client yes. excellence and we want good people on the team and then let the culture emerge from there. Now we've guided it, but we're not imposing a culture. And I think that's really important. Absolutely. Um, because if you force a culture, you're going to, you're going to live with it. And that's, that's not going to be, I don't think it's sustainable. And I, 
I think it becomes the word cult is the root of culture for a reason. Right. Um, right. And we didn't want a cult like environment, but we want yeah. one that's, that's respectful and um, that people want to be a part of. Yeah. Healthy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, that's what's so beautiful about values, right? Is yeah. if you, if you hire people with shared values, those have almost an infinite amount of expression. Yeah. where yeah. you can express in your department and your personality and your whatever, how you're going to express the value of caring for customers or express the value of whatever the other ones are uh, versus saying, here's the expression that we are placing on you. Like yes. we all have to talk the same way, dress the same way. It's like, well, that's, that's where it gets weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's um, no people are, people want to work with individuals. They don't, I mean, you know, um, you know, and we're also not, we don't take ourselves super seriously. Like we, we're good at what we do and we know it. And mm-hmm. that comes across when we work with people. We don't have to be fake about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Man, uh, I'm curious. I wanted to come back to this back more on the business side, because I think it's just such a unique thing. One of the things you, you learn about when you study actual tech is Gorilla Guides. Yeah. And so I want to know, like, when did Gorilla Guides come about? Just yeah. the idea, the whole thing. It's really, really cool. And you can talk a little bit about it. I mean, essentially, it seems like the, you know, the book for dummies. Um, well, funny you should say that. <laughs> yes. I actually have written more dummies books than I want to count. Um, yes. <laughs> and um, so we had a client, it was, fact, it was our biggest client in 2015, that I wrote their dummies book. So I, we, we weren't doing Gorilla God at that point. Um, but they needed somebody to write their dummies book. So I did it. And then they said, okay, we did the dummies book. We need what's next. What's the next thing after dummies? And we were like, huh, why do a one-off for them when we can create a whole series? So um, we did some brainstorming internally and came up with this gorilla guide. And there's some intentionality around gorilla guide. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, But the idea is that gorilla guide fills the gap after dummies. Um, It can do the foundational stuff just like dummies. So if you don't want to some people yeah, have an aversion yeah. to the to the term dummies because they believe that they're insulting their audience. I don't yeah. buy that, but you know that's what some people don't want to do. Yeah. Um, but we chose Gorilla Guide. We were looking for something alliterative, non-offensive, and that basically it's a guidebook, and the grill is also guiding you. So it has lots of different um, ways that can be played, and it's yeah. also somewhat playful. I mentioned we don't take ourselves super seriously. Um, we wanted something that was playful. We do have a serious brand called um, uh, Enterprise Innovations for mm-hmm. clients that really don't want something playful or it's a topic that doesn't lend itself to that. Yeah. Um, and they and we have a client that actually recently just engaged with us on a big content project that's mixing and matching all of our brands for different cool. things, which is great, which is wow. why we created these different brands. Um, yeah. But so we basically launched Gorilla Guide because a client said, we want what's next. And hmm. we've done over 100 Gorilla Guides now. And we hope to do a hundred more next year. Yes. What's the biggest function of a gorilla guide? Like what is, what is someone looking for out of that? um, To learn about a technology topic they may not know something about. I mean, the, one of the things about this world is it changes every week. Um, And what one company might do the exact same as another company, but they do it vastly differently. Um, So there needs to be, there needs to be educational material to tell people how things work. And that's the whole point of a gorilla guide um, is to help people understand relatively complex technology topics or business problems and how to overcome them using the client tools or products. That's cool. What's the current thing? Um, 
what's the current thing in your world? Could be professional, could be personal. Uh, but what's the current thing in your world that's got you most excited right now? Um, 2021 is, is I'm excited about the potential. We have lots. We we just launched some different a new type of event series that I we're doing our first pilot on in December. We're doing it in December because um, it's it helps us um, perfect the model because we got a bunch of them for next year. So I'm really excited to see how that turns out. Um, we're also launched. I can't talk about it yet because we're, we we just soft pitched a client literally be right before this call yes. um, on a Gorilla Guide companion series um, that's a little bit more fun. Than reading a book. Um, I'm super excited about that. I think it's got huge potential. Um, mm. Not even everybody in the company knows about it yet. <laughs> Just a few, we're, 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 yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those, it was, what, it was something that literally started as a joke in a team's channel. And then I was yeah. like, huh, wait a minute. And we talked, I talked to a client about it about, oh, an hour and 20 minutes ago. And they were like, sign us up. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah that's, awesome. I, that's fun. Um, also just seeing how we, we made some, we hired more people this year than we had planned on, um, because we were seeing the need in the business and we have a, one of my partners was over, was overseeing all of our content work. He was overseeing gorilla guide, overseeing all of our papers and video work. We hired a manager for that group. He still oversees it, but he's got primary responsibility for, um, basically awareness building for the company. Um, so he's been, he's launched a number of, um, he's our podcast, um, our, a number of different web shows that we're, that we're building. Um, he's launched all of those. We've been executing on them. Now we're looking for the results. Um, and we're starting to see it. Um, one of the, you know, we had an episode with a client a couple of weeks ago that he actually hosted and it was, it's a free thing we do. There was, there was no hook or there's no, um, you know, there's no catch right at the right. end. Um, it's just, thanks for showing up. And the conversation they had made them buy something from us immediately. Hmm. Uh, they were like, you guys are the first ones I talked to that actually understand what we do. Um, oh. So let's buy something. And that's what we want. That's what we're trying to accomplish with that show, with those shows. So I'm excited about the potential I see for 2021 and beyond. I feel like 2020 has been an incredible year. I mean, um, revenue wise, we've hit goal, which is good. Um, and now, I mean, we're, when we started the company, it was just a couple of guys to make a few more bucks on a paper and yeah. now it's a yeah. real thing. And it's, 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 it's weird sometimes, <laughs> so but it's cool. also exhilarating in other, in other ways. Yes. Yeah. It's so fun, man. I mean, just personally speaking, that's the journey, you know, Jordan and I have been on is, Two friends since college, having similar kind of, uh, you know, just like you, like our own business going and then being like, all right, let's build something bigger than ourselves. Mm. Yeah. And it's been so fun and wild and way more challenging than, uh, than you would think getting into it. What's that? As you reflect on it, right? It's exciting. But yeah. is, what else is it? You know, like from, from, your, from your vantage point, what else is the experience like? It's, it's rewarding. It's also incredibly stressful. Um, because when it was just the two of us, if it failed, we go find jobs. Now there's 18 people that are feeding their, you know, yeah. one of our clients who's a, who's a, a friend of mine um, said, hey, you guys, you guys now pay for 36 cars, 18 houses, and a whole bunch of college tuitions. I'm like, yeah, thanks for that. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. and um, he's right, though. I mean, you know, we've got it's 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 stressful in that way. And you want every year to be better than the previous year. Right. 
And, but the problem is, is this year is not a floor. It doesn't become automatic that we're going to hit the same level of revenue this year that we did for, for next yeah. year. Right. And getting over that thinking is important. It's going to take just as much work to get there. Um, it's also been an interesting way to bring together a lot of things I've learned over the years, like management from being, a, you know, a managing at a college. Um, I also have done a lot of consulting work where I do assessments of, for organizations. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's helped a lot in helping uncover client needs because I know how to do that and how to expose where they're having challenges in the business um, and then helping them define solutions. Now the solutions I'm defining happen to be content lead generation related, but um, it's a skill set that's lent itself well to what we're doing now. So it's been rewarding and being able to bring together everything I've done over my career um, to try to build this. and my partners too. I mean, they all have all of our backgrounds mesh really well together, um, and so it's been it's been that's been rewarding is is making it all work with this big huge puzzle. Uh, but yeah, but the stress is real and the anxiety is real, and that's the right. that's the <laughs> one thing that would ultimately get me to not do this anymore is the constant anxiety because I, I don't think any business owner doesn't have it. Yeah, um, I'm sure you guys probably do at least to a point. Um, especially when you saw, I mean, you had to pivot, right? To do the oh, podcast yeah. instead of seeing people in person. And it's probably a stressful time. You're yes. wondering, is this going to actually work? Yes. Yeah, it is. It, it was interesting. We always coached virtually. We've been doing that for years. I think, you know, our age and just, we were like, why did you need to meet in person? We'll just do that on, on video. But the the connection and any anytime you do a actual team event, like all of our times when we work with teams, we still did a lot of group coaching virtually, but that was unique companies that were probably already kind of familiar with that type of thing. A little forward thinking. Yeah. A little forward thinking. And so mm-hmm. that did, that was that was a big adjustment with teams trying to get get virtual. But then all the new relationships, typically all new relationships happened, uh, happened in person. And yeah. so that, just like you were talking about, the events thing shuts off for people and they're going, wait a minute, how do I, how do I feel that? Uh, for that your side- for if you were if a lot of your stuff was in person, I would imagine that you've seen two things. One, it was kind of probably anxiety inducing to do this, to have to to pivot. But at the same time, it probably opened up a whole new sphere of opportunity that just wasn't something you could even envision before because of the no. fact that it was all in it was in person driven. Right. So it was by necessity somewhat regional, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And now it's yeah. not. Mm-mm. Correct. No. Uh, it really has, uh, yeah, it had opened up something I thought we could could happen for a while, which is like, hey, it doesn't need to be in the Southeast. Like, it yeah. can be anywhere. And in making it anywhere in the past, that was always a price. Like, you know, I had a, we had a great client in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And that that cost a lot for, I have a two-year-old. So, like, for the last couple of years, that was a client that, that I, when I went there, I knew, like, this has got to be worth it for the family. And I know what I'm doing because it's it's three days just away. And then, then jet lag, it's like, then I'm going to be, you know, yeah. not worth a darn when I come back. And so if you have, if you've had any of those travels, like you, you were talking about the Silicon Valley trips, like those, that, that jet lag can get you. So That's that even thing. opened up uh, the type of lifestyle that we wanted to create around the business. We can now open up, still find people who connected with us and actually had that common pursuit of, of wanting to see great performance in their organization, but also want to make a great impact in, in people's lives uh, that actually started to, to connect a lot better where it's like, okay, nobody feels like, I don't feel like I'm having to pay an extra price 
to work with those people. It's like, no, everybody's free game, uh, right. which was, was awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I would say uh, one thing I wanted to pick up on when you were talking about the, the stress and the anxiety of leading a business and that is something you're not alone. And I think you said something like, you know, that might be unique to me. And the answer is emphatically, no, it is not unique to you. Uh, Even on this podcast alone, we've had several founders in, in their story, talking about their founder story, uh, talking about how even physically debilitating some of the stress had gotten to them. One was losing his eyesight in his late thirties. And I mean, it was crazy. Like one person blew his back out for like six or nine months and he was like, I know this had to do with my stress and all this kind of stuff, right? Um, so it's been a journey for everyone. I think anyone, anyone with real, um, you know, growing relationships has stress induced into their life. You have kids, marriage, a business, friends, right? Um, but one of the things I would say to encourage you that we've had to do for ourselves and for our clients is to actually get rid of the fallacy that stress will ever go away and recognize it doesn't need to, uh, all that needs to change is our relationship to stress. Right. And so it's most people are like, I can't wait till we get to this goal or we get to this place and stress. We figure the problems out and stress is gone. And they're constantly discouraged by the fact that that brought new stress and that brought new challenge. And we like to just think about it as weight that you work out with right? The stress is just pressure you feel. It's like weight you're working out with. And the answer is not to get out from under the bar. The answer is learning how to work out with it in a way that makes you stronger instead of debilitating you, you know, like literally making you weaker. Um, And so that's been a fascinating journey for us and with our clients. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I look for whatever I can do to get rid of those things that cause anxiety. I mean, if there's something where we can just pay a reasonable amount of money and anxiety goes away, I'm just going to do that. Um, You know, um, cause there's enough other things to worry about than, than yeah. stupid stuff that a reasonable amount of money can solve, you know? Yeah. I was doing a, I was doing a training for a client where they brought me in specifically to talk about stress. Right. And I said, first we need to distinct distinguish between bullshit stress and, uh, and, and good stress. Right. And that you realize there's like a good bit of that that we can go ahead and just get rid of, right. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. worrying about things that we can't control or we're caught up in some kind of drama yeah. or we're doing things that somebody else could do or we could automate. And you once once you get through that, you do get a little around, around a lot of it. But yeah. then you're left with stuff like your employees where you're like, man, I do. Mm. I want to feel the stress like I want to feel care for them. Right. And I want to invest in their lives. And that comes with a level of stress. And now I've got to ask, what do I do with that stress? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from. It's it's never I know it's never gonna go away. It's um unless I and honestly, if I went and got a quote unquote real job again, I would just have different kinds of stress. So it's not exactly. like it's not like that, you know, one lifestyle versus the other is gonna solve the problem. Oh um, yeah. you know, or you I mean, retire and then you have the stress of being bored. <laughs> you know? You're yeah, like, I, I would be. My wife is like, You're never gonna retire. She's like, You just yeah. wouldn't be able to do it. No so you'd be dead in a week. <laughs> not not worth just it. Created I mean, that company. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the stats on true people retiring who don't find something else to do is not a good stat there. Oh, it's not. I mean, months sometimes, you know, I mean, because they went from just going, going, going to nothing and they yes. had nothing else. And that's, that's one of the, you know, I'm, I'm only 47. So I've got a long time before I retire, but uh, there's other life events that are in the way there, like moving somewhere that's not sucky, you know, yeah. Missouri's 
I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, big um, Sur, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, we're looking at places like Virginia Beach and stuff like that. I like water. Yeah. Um, and I'm from the East Coast. So, yes. um, you know. Yeah, we've got uh, Pauly's Island, South Carolina, and Charleston, South Carolina. We can do some recruiting trips for you, man. That's Some right. Well, spots. one of my partners is in Hilton Head. So I, I yes. um, you know, pretty good. Yeah, um, man. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's move to the lightning round, man. I got five questions for you to, uh, to wrap us up. Uh, question number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? Um, it's a two pronged answer. One, but they have the same outcome. One is that the client experience is everything. And to that end, um, uh, strong, repeatable, solid processes are critical. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I love that. Uh, number two, what's the single best advice you've gotten about growing your business? Uh, to try not to grow too fast. And one of them was don't take investment. And I'm glad I didn't, cause I don't want to be answering to someone else, um, about what we do. Um, so, yeah. you know, basically organic growth. Um, and if, you know, and, I think part of that was make sure you're making money every year, because if you're not, it's just stress for no reward. That's right. Amen, bro. Uh, yeah, that's right. What about the worst? What, you got any uh, funny worst advice given ever that you can remember? Don't have partners. I mean, that was, you know, partners can also create conflict. Um, but at the same time, if I didn't have my partners, we wouldn't be where we are. And I had, did have somebody say, get rid of your partners and do it yourself. And it's like, no. No, yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to do I, I Sure, I might be able to do it, but it would be painful. Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, we probably should do a whole podcast episode on that with Drew, Drew and I talking about people saying the exact opposite thing when it comes to that one. Like they got so much advice, get partners. And then so much advice, don't get partners. Um, it's very, very interesting how that split with different people we've it's talked about. How to. you're going to grow the company. When we, st we honestly, we've never put a dime into this. We, I mean, yeah. so we... We were really lucky that our a member of the reputation thing, we told we told some of our clients, our individual clients, what we we're going to do. And they said, here's some money, go do something with it. Yeah. Um, no strings. And that's what got the company started. Yeah. And so we were by necessity had to complement each other's skill sets. We could have tried to hire people, but it wasn't enough money to do that. Um, yeah. But then you've got one person on the hook for making the whole thing grow. Yeah. Um, because because the employees are never going to have the level of investment that a partner is. Mm -hmm. um, but the the partners have really helped make this what it is. So, awesome. you know, it, it's pros and cons, but at the same time, we wouldn't be where we are. Yeah, I love that. Uh, what causes the most worry uh, leading your organization? Sales. Yeah. It's like the one thing that's like, I wish I could get a guarantee on what next year is going to look like. You know, mm -hmm. I know if I could, I'd be rich as hell. Um, <laughs> there you go. But, you know, that's the one thing. It's like, are we going to be able to keep doing this? Are we going to be able to keep it going? Um, yeah. So. That's awesome, man. Uh, number four, uh, what's your what's your BHAG? What's your big, hairy, audacious goal right now? Just to double our size in the next three to four years. I mean, that's, um, I don't mean staff size. I mean, revenue. Um, yep. And that's that wasn't always our goal. I mean, this very much started as a lifestyle business. And it's. Yeah. As it grew, as I say, we wanted to grow organically, it grew faster than we expected. Yeah. Um, and it's turned into a, huh, there's actually something more here 
let's make it big. Um, you know, we don't want to become a 50 million, if we did, it'd be great. Um, but our, it's not our goal to become a $50 million company, but to get to a point where even if there's a downturn, it doesn't matter because there's enough money coming in that it's going to be fine. Nice. Uh, number five, let's see if you could hop in a DeLorean, you're going to go back to the future, man. Uh, you're going to go back to your past, tell yourself one thing from the driver's side window. Uh, when are you going to go back and what would you say to yourself? I'm going to go back to December 31st, 2019 and say, go to sleep for the next year. Um, <laughs> um, no, um, I, you know, that's a good question. I, I, I honestly don't know. Um, I mean, I could go back and say, you know, to early in the days of the company and say, here's, forget all this pivoting you did do this. But I feel like we learned some valuable lessons from all of that. So sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe go back and invest in Bitcoin. I mean, I can't think of, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and don't do any of this, but um, it's was, there ever, was there ever a time that your younger self needed some encouragement that you, oh, yeah. the future self, the one now who feels like, Hey man, we're, we've got some good stuff going on. would go back and encourage. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think we all do to a point, but I suffer from imposter syndrome really bad sometimes. Same. Yeah. And, um, I have all my entire professional career. And I think that's probably helped me back to a point. Um, mm -hmm. Probably the feedback I've gotten from people over the years is I, I shouldn't have that, which, okay, that's yeah. great. Um, <laughs> and maybe going back to my younger self and saying, actually believe in what you can do and make it happen rather yeah. than feeling like I shouldn't be in this room. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Feel that that's a good word for my, my, uh, middle school age self as well. So I'll receive it from, <laughs> I'll receive yeah. it from me. Uh, man, that's fantastic, Scott. Buddy, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. You are not an imposter. You are the real deal, my friend. And uh, it's again, it's evident. Like as we hear you talk about your product, as we hear you talk about your customers, as we hear you talk about your company, uh, man, just a level of expertise, professionalism, care, and wisdom uh, is clear that comes across. So thank you for making time for this. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with our audience. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. It's a really great conversation. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.